0: Give the Lord a big hand, would you? We are, uh, we're here today to make much about Jesus Christ and uh, what he is doing and also what he has done. Uh, before I start preaching on the Holy Spirit, our helper, sermon number seven, uh, I'd, I'd like to just do a quick commercial. Uh, thank you for praying for It's Our Turn campaign. Uh, we came before you uh, several months ago saying that this is the year this is the time that uh, that we're gonna move ahead build a new worship center and a we worship area and add additional parking that we desperately need and you have been praying and thank you for praying we've been praying specifically for three things number one that our property at raleigh farm would sell god is working in that keep praying about that number two Uh, that we would be able to acquire all the property we need between here and harvest time and clear that area so that, number three, we could build a new building and uh, God could fund it and you could fill it up, all right? And that's what we've been praying for. Uh, We have been working diligently for the past several months. You haven't been able to see anything because everything has been done kind of, you know, behind the scenes and, and nothing visible has happened until this week. And we're finally able to see some stuff. Let me just show you a quick video of what you can see now. To save us We long for the supernatural But there is only one God who can save the day So clear the stage, prepare the way Because heaven and earth are singing Glory, hallelujah Let the whole world sing Yeah, it, it is amazing in a week's time, two of those houses were knocked down, and uh, just in a matter of a few more weeks, they'll, they'll all be taken down. Also, God opened the door for us to acquire four lots that the city owned. We were, we were the only bidder. <laughs> we were the high bidder, but the only bidder, and, uh, and, and God just opened the door for us to acquire that land. I'm so excited about what God is doing and what God is going to do. Let's give God another <laughs> big hand today and remember it's our turn now the reason we're doing all of this is to be a witness for jesus christ more than anything else we want people to hear about jesus we want to make much of jesus christ and it is our job as believers to be a witness for jesus that is your task okay it is your mission if you are a christian here today You are God's hands and you are God's feet and you are God's voice. And what God has called you to do is to present Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. We're on that mission 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We can never tell enough people about Jesus, all right? So that's what we're called to do. But you know what? We're not in it alone. I mean, yes, we have the rest of us, to help and encourage. But more than that, Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit. He is our helper, and he is the one who enables us and helps us to be a witness for Jesus Christ. So this is sermon number seven on the Holy Spirit, our helper. And today from John's Gospel, chapter 15, we are going to learn how the Holy Spirit helps us to be a witness for Jesus Christ. So again, John chapter 15, I'll read that passage in a moment. This is just before Jesus was to be crucified. And so he had his disciples in this room together. And he was literally pouring into their lives. And I'm sure the atmosphere in that room was electrifying. Because Jesus was squeezing every moment that he could into the lives of his disciples. He knew he was about to leave. And he needed them to know everything that they could so that they could continue this cause called Christianity. So we read in John chapter 13, first thing Jesus did. He he took away his cloak, and he took up a towel and a basin, and he knelt down, and he washed his disciples' feet. He washed their dirty feet. Jesus taught them the lesson of true Christianity. To be a leader in the kingdom of God, you've got to be a servant, all right? And so he fleshed that out to them. And then they took of the Lord's Supper. In chapter 14, 15, and 16, Jesus told them what they needed to know about living for him and the cause of Christ after he was crucified. He told them, in essence, The world is going to persecute you. The world is going to hate you. They hated me. They killed me. They're about to kill me. They're going to hate you. A servant is not greater than his master. So be ready for this. You are about to enter into persecution. But I'm going to give you the strength to live a victorious Christian life. So he did not want them to shrink. He did not want them to fold. He did not want them to retreat. He wanted them to have boldness to live for him. And that's where we come in John's Gospel, chapter 15. Just a couple of verses, 26 and 27 is our passage for today. Here's what Jesus told his disciples. But when the helper, who's the helper? It's the Holy Spirit. You know what? I could, David, I could stop right here and talk for the next hour about how I need help in my life. Anybody else out there like me, do you ever need help? Wake up. Quit lying. Yeah, we need help. We can't do life on our own. And God doesn't expect us to. So what has he given us? He's given us the helper. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will do what? He will testify of me. Did you know that is the primary duty of the Holy Spirit, to testify of Jesus? The Holy Spirit came to make much ado about the Son of God, Jesus Christ. In fact, it was the Holy Spirit who presented Jesus to a lost and dying world. This same Holy Spirit, who was one with the Father and the Son, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who was there at creation, the Holy Spirit who at times came down and indwelt humankind in the Old Testament, giving mankind a word from God, that same Holy Spirit, the preserver of truth, is the one who presents Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. He will testify of me. He has been testifying of Jesus. He will continue to testify of Jesus. And then he looked at his disciples and said, And you, you guys right here, you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Now, do you see what Jesus is saying here? The Holy Spirit testifies of me. The Holy Spirit bears witness of me. The Holy Spirit is the one who has presented me to humankind. And now you, my followers, those of you who have been with me, you will also bear witness and testify of me. It's interesting that that phrase bear witness in the original Greek language is the same word used for martyr. It means one who gives up his or her life for a cause. And the tense of the verb that Jesus used here means you will continually bear witness of me. And so here's what Jesus is saying. The Holy Spirit has presented me to mankind. The Holy Spirit has witnessed of me. And now this spirit whom you are about to receive and who will abide in you will give you the power to also be my witnesses. And and here's the deal. When the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in a believer, he comes in the power that makes it effective for us to be a witness for Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus had in mind when he ascended back into heaven. Remember what Jesus said? In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, as he was going back up to heaven, he said, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Did you see those two words? Power and witness. You're going to receive power. Where does that power come from? The Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit, our helper. And because you have received that power, you are going to be a witness for me. And the book of Acts shows us how for the next 30 years, this unstoppable force, the power of God, the witness of Christians, one person after person, people group after people group, nation after nation. The power of the Holy Spirit is not merely for our enjoyment. No, the power of the Holy Spirit is for our employment. We're on mission for God. We have been employed by him. Why? We are called to be his witnesses. The same word that Jesus used in John chapter 15 verse 27 when he said, and you must also testify of me. So you take these two passages t- together, John 15 and Acts 1.8. What did Jesus say? He said, you will be my witnesses, and you will testify about me. Again, the vision that Jesus had for his followers never included just sitting in church and being comfortable. In fact, <laughs> he has called us to cross-cultural ministry countercultural ministry. He has us, called us to shake our world up, right. not to become. And don't you ever think that you've done your duty just by coming in here on Sunday morning and sitting in a padded pew in an air-conditioned building and checking it off your list and saying, I've served God this week. Right. No, this is the least of all that we must do for Jesus Christ. He's called us to be an effective witness for him. And not only that, he's given us the power of the Holy Spirit that should be exploding inside of us to be a witness for him. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. And he said, you must testify about me. You know what? That's what a witness is. Just, Just telling something about a person. That's all a witness is. Years ago, I was uh, asked to appear in court as a character witness for a friend of mine. And I tell you what, the the closer it got to that court date, the the more nervous I became. And I mean, when the day came, I was a nervous wreck. You know why? I was afraid I was going to say something wrong. And so I talked to the attorney right before we went out there and said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty f- nervous about this. I'm pretty fearful. I, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing and say something bad, and, and I don't want to do that. And, and the attorney just kind of calmed me down. He says, you're making a big deal out of this, and, and you don't have to. He said, all you've got to do is just tell them what you know about your friend. <laughs> I mean, that's it. That's all we want you to do is is tell us what you know about your friend. And you know what? When it comes down to it, that's what being a witness for Jesus is all about. You just open your mouth and tell somebody what you know about your friend, Jesus Christ. It's interesting to me here in this passage, Jesus said, You have been with me now three years. You know me. You're You're my witness. You're my witness. Maybe the problem with us is that that we just don't spend enough time with Jesus. Maybe we haven't been as close to Jesus as we should be or need to be. Maybe Jesus isn't the most important thing in our life or on our mind. So when it comes down to it, witnessing about him is way down the list because we haven't made much about Jesus in our own life. Jesus told his disciples, you have been with me three years. I have been the center of your life for three years. Now I want you to go out and be my witness to the world. And by the way, you're not on your own. I'm about to give you the helper, (laughs) the Holy Spirit. And church, for the next few minutes, I want to share with you from the Word of God how the Holy Spirit helps us in our witnessing, how the Holy Spirit helps us to be an effective witness for God. Three things. Number one, the Holy Spirit gives us courage to be a witness for Jesus Christ. There's really no other explanation for the transformation that happened in that bunch of spiritual chickens who were in that room after Jesus died on the cross. They were scared to death. These early disciples thought, you know what? They killed Jesus. They killed our master. We're next. And so they were hiding away in this house after the crucifixion of Jesus. But you know what? After the resurrection, Jesus sent the power of his Holy Spirit. And that changed everything. Acts chapter 2 changed everything. The Spirit came down and gave them power and boldness. And so they, they boldly went out into their world. And they rocked their world for Jesus. They were telling everybody. that they were, they, were, they were in prison for it. They were beaten because of it. They were mistreated because of it. But it didn't stop them. They just went back to the house, got on their knees, had a prayer meeting and said, Lord, give us greater boldness. Help us to to face this and do it with with grace. The Bible says in Acts 4.31, after they prayed for that power, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak for God boldly. How were they that uh, courageous? The Holy Spirit, man. He gave them boldness. The power of the Holy Spirit in us gives us the courage to be a witness for Jesus Christ. You know, I've, I've been thinking about this for, for a long time now. And it seems to me that part of the problem for us American believers is that it, it's just so easy. It, it's almost as it, if, if, if we were birthed into Christianity. I mean, it's no big deal. Oh, yeah, I go to church. Oh, yeah, I invited Jesus in my life. Oh, yeah, I was baptized. Oh yeah, I attend so and so church. Yeah, that's my church. Yeah, I'm a Christian. But it really hadn't cost us anything. We we don't. Can I tell you something? I'm just talking to you right now. We don't know anything about persecution. It it is so easy for us. Oh, I'm I'm persecuted. People have made fun of me because I'm a Christian. That's not persecution. You know, Angie and I talk about this all the time. There, there are some circles that we're, we're not invited into. Some people we've been around, they don't invite us into their circle. Why? Because we make them uncomfortable. We live a different life. We talk a different way. We're, we're believers. And because of that, they have excluded us. You might say, well, that's persecution. No, it's really not persecution. And I think about, and I'm not being critical. Please, don't see my spirit here. It, it concerns me. It concerns me. It concerns me for my kids. Okay, and I've got I've got my whole family here today. Don't they look great? Whitney picked out our clothes to, to today. Callie, good to, good to have you. You know, I was thinking right before we came up here, I ought to let Callie come up here and preach today. She's she really is a better preacher than I am. All right, and Michael, we're glad to have Michael with us today. Zane, good. My son-in-law, man, you're looking good, dude. Got got. I not I'm just enjoying my family. Got little baby Ella Jane here, and she's sleeping. And so I better be quiet, all right? Don't want to wake her up. Good to have you. But you know what? I'm concerned about my kids because, you know, that's all, that's all they've known is Christianity. And, you know, sometimes we can just, just take it for granted, guys, because it's not cost us anything. You've not seen the other side. And Here's what I'm afraid of for a lot of us because, because this has become so easy. We, we are really weak when it comes to our witnessing. We're, we're almost anemic when it comes to, to witnessing. Why? Because we've never faced any persecution. We, we don't know what it's like. What, one of the blessings for me is, is being on the international missions board. I hear all these stories of, of things happening in third world countries... ...and, and how people really are persecuted. I, I think of what has happened and what is now happening in Cuba, for example... ...amongst Free Will Baptists. Let me tell you the Cuban story. Back in 1942, a pioneer Free Will Baptist missionary... ...by the name of Pop Willie was commissioned to go to Cuba. And so he went there as just a, a, a solo missionary... And he started witnessing to people and won some Cubans to the Lord. He, he established a few churches. There were a handful of churches, just a few believers. And he also opened a seminary, the Cedars of Lebanon Seminary, to train pastors for the ministry. And for 18 years, Pop Willie devoted his life to Cuba and, and building the churches in Cuba. And after 18 years, in 1960... Socialism took over in Cuba. The communist regime took over. You know what? They kicked Pop Willie out. They shut down Cedars of Lebanon Seminary. They closed the churches. They told the Christians they could no longer witness and evangelize. And, and back in the United States, I mean, I, was, I wasn't born until 1961, but I can remember from a, a little boy in church hearing these stories about Cuba and going to the national meeting and us praying for Cuba because we didn't know what was happening in Cuba. We thought we would lose that handful of churches and those few believers. We thought it would dissolve. Under the persecution, we thought Cuban churches and Free Will Baptists would die and disintegrate. Thirty years later, back in the late 1980s and early 1990s, they started allowing some of our free will Baptists back into Cuba. And the free will Baptist movement hadn't died down there. Did you know that today in Cuba, there are over 52 established free will Baptist churches? There are over 200 house churches and over 6,000 free will Baptist Christians in Cuba. Isn't that great? I mean, that's mind-boggling to me. It's unbelievable to me. In 1991, they reopened the Cedars of Lebanon Seminary. And did you know that today, this very day... Cuban Free Will Baptists, they have their own National Association of Free Will Baptists. They are sending missionaries out to different parts of the world. And because of their lifestyle and the, the, the realization they don't have anything, you can virtually support a Cuban missionary for about $100 a month. I mean, it's, just, it's mind-boggling to me. And and here's what we've realized. Here's what's happened. During the dark days, God grew a generation of people in Cuba who knew nothing but absolute surrender to Christ, taking up their cross, and following Jesus. While in the United States, we are looking for comfortable Christianity, those Cuban believers were taught from a young age that it's going to cost them everything to serve Jesus. Jesus and under that persecution they came alive in their witness and the churches grew I saw this firsthand uh, in April I went to Nashville for an international mission board meeting and uh, at that meeting we interviewed a record number 11 missionary candidates and approved them for foreign service one young lady that we interviewed was named Karen Delgado on a Wednesday night, I, t- I told some of you about Karen Delgado. I'm going to repeat some of that story because, man, it just it challenged me. It was a young girl, 24 years old, answering the call of God in her life to be a missionary, and she's going to go to Bulgaria. And so she was sitting at, at our table with all the board members around, and, and I was seated right across from Karen Delgado, and they asked her, Karen, just tell us your story. What's your story? And I mean, she was as nervous as she could be. I mean, there's, there's all this the mission board who gives her approval to be a missionary. And, and, but she started in her story. And she said, well, I was born and raised in Cuba. My, my mom and dad became Christians. My dad became a pastor. And she said, every day, every day when we sat down for breakfast, lunch, or supper, every time we sat down to eat, my mom and dad would tell my, my brothers and my sisters and myself, children, we are doing the will of God. The will of God is the most important thing you can do in your life. And even though it is difficult sometimes to do the will of God, we will always do the will of God. She said, I was told that three times a day all of my life. And then when I was in junior high school, my family fleshed it out because God told my dad to leave Cuba and go to Panama. And so we renounced our Cuban citizenship. We lost our visa. We went to Panama. We were not granted another visa. Therefore, we were a family without a country. And after a while, the Panamanian government told us to leave. And we didn't have anywhere to go. We had no income. We had no food. We had no family. We had no country. But we were doing the will of God. (laughs) She said, my parents kept telling us, The will of God sometimes is hard, but we've got to do the will of God. She said unexpectedly, they received a phone call from the United States asking her daddy, Rolando Delgado, to come to the United States and and spearhead a Spanish-speaking ministry. And you know where they ended up? Russellville, Arkansas. at this point karen was a senior and callie she had to go to russellville high school her senior year we've got a thing in our family we don't care too much for for russellville high school for some reason greenwood people don't like russellville high whatever she said oh that was hard she said i barely could speak english it was my senior year and here we are in a country that we're not a citizen of and, and, and I don't speak English and I don't have any friends, but she said every night I'd go home and my parents would say, Karen, it's going to be okay. We're doing the will of God. The will of God is hard, but we're doing the will of God. She said after she graduated, she received a a, a gift to be able to go to Welch College. That's our Free Will Baptist School in Nashville. She went there. She just graduated this May, but she was also called to ministry and to missions. And she said during her time at Welch, she went to Bulgaria, and she fell in love with Bulgaria. Bulgaria. And she thought to herself, wouldn't it be great if God allowed me to spend my life in Bulgaria telling people about Jesus? Oh, this would be so wonderful because I love these people and I love this culture. It would be so great. Then she thought, well, that can never happen because the will of God is hard. (laughs) The will of God is not supposed to be fun, she said. But she came to realize that, you know what? Yes, the will of God can be hard, but it also can be rewarding. And it can be good. And so I'm sitting there and I'm listening to Karen Delgado's story. And Jason, no lie, I kept writing in my notes, this girl is committed to the will of God. The will of God is more important to this girl than anything else. God has given her boldness to stand for him and to speak for him because of her submission to him. And then I wrote down, oh, how I wish we could learn this lesson. Here's the way it ought to be. When we come to Jesus Christ, there is a transfusion inside of us that the Holy Spirit gives us courage and boldness to be a witness for him. Can I tell you something, balcony people? God's Holy Spirit will give you courage, but he's waiting for us to take that first step. We've got to step out in faith, and I guarantee you, he will give you the boldness you need. Not only courage, I'll hurry up now. Number two, he gives us words to say. Again, Jesus prepared the disciples for life in a world where following Jesus was not going to be popular, and he encouraged them in Luke chapter 12. This is what he said in verse 11. He said, when you are brought before the synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves, or even what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very moment what you are to say. Isn't that amazing? One of the great works of the Holy Spirit is to present Jesus to a world, and he does it through followers of Jesus Christ. And when we get into situations where we're a little bit nervous, about what to say and how to witness, Jesus says, don't sweat it. You don't worry about it. You just open your mouth, and the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. That's a promise right there. Amen, sister. Amen. But notice this. He doesn't say the Holy Spirit is going to give you those words in advance. No. <laughs> they, they don't come beforehand. Now, you can study, you can memorize Scripture, you can hide those things in your heart, but you're not going to have the exact words you need to say until you open your mouth. And when you open your mouth at that very moment, the Holy Spirit is going to give you the words to say. Even the great apostle Paul needed this. He asked the Ephesian believers to pray for him, Ephesians 6:19, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mysteries of Of the gospel and that's what happens guys I'm I'm here to tell you 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 step out in faith you initiate a conversation or you answer a person's question and you you do so directly thinking I'm gonna share Jesus with this person and when you do that when you open your mouth the Holy Spirit is gonna give you the words to say look at me I know it happens I can't tell you the number of times I've been in a situation like this I know that God wants me to witness I don't know what to say but I open my mouth and I start talking and then it's almost like an out-of-body experience I am listening to words coming out my mouth and I'm thinking where did that come from you know how did how did I know that I've never thought of that before wow that's pretty cool And it's not me at all. It's the Holy Spirit. He's our helper. You are called to be a witness. He'll give you courage. He'll give you the words to say. Number three, he's going to give you direction and opportunities to speak. This is best illustrated in that story found in Acts chapter 8. Remember the story of Philip? He wasn't a preacher. He was a deacon. He He was a layman. And God was using him in a very effective way to to evangelize in this city. But then the Lord said, Philip, I want you to go out to the middle of nowhere, a desert road, because I'm going to have a divine encounter for you out on this desert road. And so all of a sudden, that's where Philip was. He's out in the middle of nowhere. And coming in this chariot was an Ethiopian eunuch. He had heard about God, and so he went to Jerusalem to learn more about God. And on his way back to his home country in Ethiopia, he was riding in his chariot, reading a scroll from the book of Isaiah. And here's what Acts chapter 8, verse 29 says. The Spirit of God said to Philip, Philip, catch up with that chariot. Now, I don't know if the horses were walking or running, but even if they were walking, Philip had to run to catch up to it. And here he is, Jogging alongside this chariot, he sees the Ethiopian inside reading a scroll. I guess he notices it's the Bible, and he says, do you understand what you're reading? The Ethiopian says, no. How can I understand unless someone explains it to me? <laughs> Goodness. You couldn't write this any better, man. And Philip said, I can explain it to you. And so he got in the chariot, and from the very verses that the Ethiopian eunuch was reading from, Philip preached to him Jesus Christ. Had Philip planned that? Absolutely not. Had Philip rehearsed that? No. He just had courage to speak for God, and the Holy Spirit gave him the words. The guy was saved. They stopped the chariot, found a little pond of water. He was baptized. He went back to Ethiopia, and historians tell us he was instrumental in starting the first church in Africa. My point is this. We need to be sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Because he is working in people around us. And his job is to testify about Jesus. And we are partners with him in that. Angie and I talk about this all the time. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody? Maybe you don't know them from Adam. Maybe you just met them. And all of a sudden, they are telling you stuff. And you're thinking to yourself, why in the world is this person telling me this? You know? I mean, literally, they're just vomiting out the problems that they have. You're thinking, I didn't ask for that. And, and maybe it makes you uncomfortable when you think, boy, I wish they would shut up. I don't want to. No, listen to me. God sent them to you. God sent them to you. This is, a, this is a divine opportunity from God. This is direction from God. God is connecting you with this person. This person is opening up to you. Why? Because they need to hear what you got. They need to hear this witness. You need to present to them Jesus. And it happens all the time. Probably more so than you recognize. So here's what we do. We're courageous. The Holy Spirit makes us courageous. Number two, we just speak words. And number three, we look for those divine opportunities. That's what the Holy Spirit does in our life as witnesses. But you know what? The Holy Spirit is also working in the life of the person that we need to witness to. He's doing two things in their life. Number one, he is convicting them of their sins. That's what Jesus promised his followers a little later on in John 16, verse 8. Jesus said, when he, the helper, comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and also judgment. And listen, church, when we are faithful to love other people and tell them the simple truths of the gospel, the Holy Spirit is going to take our words and use them in that person's life to bring about conviction, I mean, it happens. Let me just ask you this. Have have you ever been in here just listening on a Sunday morning, and I'm up here talking, preaching, whatever, and you're thinking, dude, how does he know that? Has he been reading my mail? That's not me. That's the Holy Spirit of God. That's the Holy Spirit of God. Years ago, God brought this guy into my life. It was through this sporting event. I I didn't know him, just met him, and and uh, we visited a little bit, and he found out that I was a Christian and I was a preacher. And here's what the guy said to me. First, first time I met him, he said, listen. He said, you seem like a nice guy, and I, I don't mind talking to you and visiting with you, and I'll continue to talk to you, but I don't want to hear any of that Jesus stuff. He said, you never talk to me about Jesus. You never talk to me about the church. Because if you do, I'll never talk to you again. He said, I'm an atheist. I said, okay. <laughs> Whatever, man. And so over the next few years, I just became his friend. Just we just talk about stuff. Never brought up Jesus. Never brought up the church. But you know what I was doing? I was praying for him. Yeah, Holy Spirit get a hold of his heart. You, you, you brought me into this guy's life for a reason. Okay? I believe that. Every time God brings somebody into my life, it's for a reason. There is a divine appointment there. So God, you brought this guy into my life for a reason. He doesn't want to hear what I have to offer. But Lord... Work in his life. Holy Spirit, get a hold of his heart. A few years later, he called me up and he said, Hey, hey, I, I need to talk to you. <laughs> he said, my world has fallen apart. My wife has left me. My, my, I've lost my job. My, my health is failing. I need you to pray for me. <laughs> you know, so, sometimes God works in weird ways. He, he brought this guy's world crumbling down. But you know what? It convicted him of his sins and it changed his attitude and now he wants to hear the gospel are you seeing what i'm saying you be courageous you open your mouth you speak words the lord will give you the words to say and as you speak those words the holy spirit is working in that person's life convicting them of their sins and you know what you are not called to save that person you can't save anybody But that's the fifth thing, or the second thing that the Holy Spirit does. Not only does he convict sins, he converts lives. He changes people from the inside out. There is power in the proclamation of the message of the gospel. Paul said it like this, Romans 1.16. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to anyone who believes, the Jews first and also the Greeks. So here's how I'm ending this sermon today. Number one, if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, this message is available to you today. This salvation is available to you. Today you can be saved. Today God can take all the junk of your life and just wash it away and give you a fresh start on life. He can write your name in the Lamb's book of life. He can give you hope for heaven. And let me tell you, that's what it's all about, guys. No one will you spend eternity. No one will you spend eternity. I see Freddie's family up there. Love you guys. Been been praying for you. We we buried Brother Freddie this past week. Unexpected death. Didn't expect Brother Freddie to die. But his time was up. His time was gone. And God called him home. You know what? That was a glorious celebration we had for Freddie. Why? Because he's a believer in Jesus Christ. He settled things with God. He's in heaven today and I want you to have that same hope. So if you're here today and you're you're not sure about your relationship with Jesus, I invite you to come and receive God's gift of salvation. Number two, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to remind you of, of your job description. You're his witness. You are to testify of him every single day. God is going to bring people into your life that he wants you to speak to about him. He wants you to present Jesus to them. And all you have to do is say, Lord, I'm willing, I'm ready, I'm able. Use me. And he'll use the fire out of you.